The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I'd ask you to turn with me over to Leviticus chapter 16. Um, I know that not a lot of uh, Easter Sunday sermons probably begin in Leviticus, um, but it, but Jesus Himself tells us that search the Scriptures from them you think you have eternal life, or they that are they testified me. So even the Old Testament uh, should point to Jesus, uh, and I hope that we'll see um, in in this passage and in several others. Um, how great our God is, how great Jesus is. Um, and what I'd like to go through, I, I want to just sample a few, a few scriptures throughout the Word of God this morning. Um, and I want, to, I want to show that Jesus is everything for us, that He, is, he fulfills all the roles that we ever need. Uh, and I want, to, I want to just show you a few of the hats that Jesus wears for us, so to speak. Um, and here, in Leviticus 16, I want to look at Jesus, our fit man. This is, this is a role that He plays for us. He is our fit man. Leviticus 16, and we'll, we'll begin in verse 20. And I want to give you a little context just to save time so we don't have to read it. But right before this, the Lord has commanded Aaron to, to, take, a, to take a goat and to sacrifice this goat and to spread the blood on the altar. Uh, and this is to cleanse the altar of all the sins of the people. All right, so this is where we're picking up. Verse 20, And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place, this is after he has, he has spread the blood of this goat on, on this holy place, uh, and the tabernacle, the congregation, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments which he, had, which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his flesh with water in, his holy place, in the holy place and put on his garments and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of, of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people and the fat of the sin offering shall be burnt upon the altar and he that let go the, the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterward come into the camp. So this is uh, an interesting uh, little um, ceremony that the Lord instituted here where the sins of the people would be confessed over this goat. And I, I, I'm so glad we don't have to do this anymore because this would, this would be a little weird uh, for the priest to go and to take this goat. It, if we were to bring the goat in here and he were to put both of his hands on the head of this goat and confess the sins of the people, and then they would, they would, the, the fit man would come and would, and would carry this goat away. Uh, and the reason that it had to be a fit man is that he had to be able to take this goat far enough away uh, and to be able to return. Uh, if he didn't take it far enough away, then the goat that had all the sins of the people on it could wander back in, uh, and then it, it would just be the same as their sins coming back. 
sort of symbolically, their sins would be coming back. And he had to take it to a land that was not inhabited. If you took it to uh, a land that had somebody living there, then they could, they could just say, oh, well, whose goat is that? We'll bring it back. And the, and the same situation would happen. So this fit man would carry this goat. Um, in Psalm 103, I'm, I'm going to turn there and read it to you. Um, Psalm 103, this is a, a, a passage we all know. And this is essentially what Jesus did for us on the cross. And, and this reminds me of this fit man here. Psalm 103 and verse 11, it says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. So this fit man here, he would have to take this scapegoat far away from the people. That was, their, that was their sin, so they wouldn't come back. And Jesus, our fit man, on the cross, took our sins far away, Amen. as far as the east is from the west. Beautiful. They're not going to be coming back to us because He took them to the grave and left them there. That is our fit man. Now I want to talk to you about Jesus, our scapegoat. Uh, from the same exact passage, uh, it's interesting. You see that there's a lot of different people uh, and a lot of different goats and things involved in that one little ceremony. But Jesus fulfills all of those roles Himself on the cross. Uh, he is our scapegoat. He is our fit man. He's our priest. Uh, so Jesus also is our scapegoat. On Him were laid all of our sins. And He took them uh, with Himself as the fit man far away from us. Uh, Jesus, our priest, um, in, this, in this same exact ceremony, Jesus is also our priest. Um, turn with me over to, to Hebrews chapter 9. This is some good passages about Jesus, our, our great high priest. Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just skip through some of this. So we'll look at verse 6 of, of Hebrews chapter 9. This is Jesus our priest. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. So I want you to get this image. In the Old Testament, the priest would go in and the high priest would go into the very holy place, the, the inner veil. Uh, and, and what he would do is that he would offer, um, offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. But it's interesting because he is also a sinner. So he had to, he had to first offer sacrifices for himself. Um, now skip with me Hebrews 9 and we'll look at verse 11. It says, But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So the high priest had to go in and, and yearly, he had to repeatedly go in and offer, for the, offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. But Jesus, our better high priest, he went in one time. Amen. He went in once for all eternity and offered, offered this, not to us. He didn't offer this sacrifice to us. He offered it to God. 
And God accepted it. And I hope we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and he did that one time. And I love this. I love that it says, having obtained eternal redemption for us. That's, a, that's past tense, y'all. Uh, it's something that is accomplished. In verse 24, we'll skip down to verse 24 of, of Hebrews 9. It says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is, this is our great high priest. This is Jesus himself. Um, if, you, if you're looking through the book of Hebrews, there's a lot of a lot of pointing back to the Old Testament and showing how uh, Jesus is better. I think that that's a good theme when you're studying the book of Hebrews. Just remember, Hebrews is about better. It's about this is better than the Old Testament. Christ is a better, he's a better high priest. Um, and this is certainly what it's saying here. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, I'd like you to look at this. Uh, Hebrews 6 and verse 20, this is also one of those things that you might come across when you're studying Hebrews. It just might confuse you a little bit. Hebrews chapter 6 uh, and verse 19. It says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Which is it's referring to heaven here. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now it says this several times uh, in Hebrews. It says Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And that's, that's sort of an interesting uh, way to say that. And a lot of people uh, don't exactly know what that means. I'm not sure I know all that what it means either. Uh, but I will say this. The, the character Melchizedek in the Old Testament, we, we see him at one point in Genesis... Where, where he and Abraham meet each other. Now, Melchizedek is interesting. He's different than the other priest uh, because according to legend, I don't think it matters whether it's true or not, but according to legend, uh, he, he was never born and never died. So he was sort of an eternal person. Now, I don't know if that was actually true, but that was the legend. Um, and also, he was different from the other high priest because not only was he the high priest, but he was also the king. He was the king of Salem and the high priest. Uh, and that was normally not done. And so when it says that Jesus is the high priest after that order of Melchizedek, I think this is what it means. I think it's saying that not only is Jesus our high priest, he's also our king. He's both at the same time. And also, uh, his, his priesthood never ends. Um, you know, there, there's the problem with the, the priesthood being human, uh, number one, you've, they've got to offer sins, uh, offer for their own sins, but also their priesthood ends when they die, and somebody else has to come in and take over. Um, and that that sort of reminds me, you know, there's the there's some laws that I read through in, in Exodus. The Lord gives the people some laws on on murder and on manslaughter, and He says for manslaughter, He says, I want you to appoint, I think it's five cities of refuge. 
And what, and what could happen is if somebody inadvertently killed somebody by manslaughter, they could run to this city. And if they were within that city, they'd be safe uh, from somebody coming to exact judgment on them. But they were only safe there until the death of the high priest. Now when the high priest died, that protection was no longer there. Uh, but praise God that when, when our high priest never dies, Jesus uh, never, his priesthood never ends. And that's why we have a little more means to hope in our better high priest, uh, because we know that he's not going to die. Now I want to look at uh, Jesus, our lamb. Turn with me over to 1 Peter 1. So we see that, that Jesus, he's our priest. He's our fit man. He's our scapegoat. He's also our lamb. 1 Peter 1 and verse 18. <clears throat> 1 Peter 1 and 18 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God and raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. It says here that, that from the, before the foundation of the world that Jesus was ordained to be our lamb. Now imagine, imagine that. Imagine that Jesus, when he, came, when he came to earth, when He came to be amongst us, He knew all along He was coming for the cross. That was His entire purpose in being here. Now, now imagine that all that you've ever done in your life was all based on you going to die. It would be a little different, wouldn't it? Uh, you would think a little differently. But, but it says here that Jesus was, was ordained from the foundation of the world before that to be our Lamb. And that, that, that gives me just a little glimpse in the love that God has for His people. That, even, that, that from the foundation of the world, He would have a, a solution to our problem. That He would have a way to fix us. It also reminds me, you know, in, in Egypt... When, when the Lord was about to institute the Passover, and this was going to be his last, uh, his last plague on Egypt, so to speak, uh, where he would kill the firstborn. Uh, and he, 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 told, he told the Israelites to take the blood of the lamb and to smear it over their doorpost. And then when he saw that blood, he would pass over them. Yeah. Now, it's funny that the blood of Christ also covers us. The blood of our Lamb is spread over our doorpost. And so the wrath of God uh, passes over us. I, I praise God for our Lamb. Now, Jesus uh, is not just our Lamb. He's also our intercessor, our mediator. Turn with me over to Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. 
Hebrews 4 and 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we, yet without sin. <clears throat> let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, this is something I think that we, that we take for granted. This is something that I, I don't think we quite understand sometimes, is that when we pray, we are coming before the God of this universe. We're coming before a holy God who we really have no place being before. You know, we are, we are wicked people. We're, we're sinners. We have evil thoughts. We, we don't deserve uh, to come before the God of this universe. You know, if, if I were to try to call up the president right now, they would tell me I have no place talking to the president. But yet, for some reason, when we pray to God, who is far greater, uh, we don't really see that that's, that's any big deal. You know, we, we get used to it. We take it for granted. So it ought to be something that we're afraid of. But, praise God, here it says that we have a high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what troubles you're going through. Partly it says here because he's experienced it too. He's been tempted like as we are, without sinning. And it says, so let us therefore come boldly unto this throne of grace. We can, we can actually come boldly before the God of the universe. Uh, isn't that great that we have a high priest, that we have an intercessor, a mediator who loves us, who knows our, our struggles. But Jesus is also um, above that. He's also our advocate. Uh, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. I want to talk to you about Jesus, our advocate. First John in chapter 2. Now this word advocate, I looked it up, and it means our encourager. Uh, now we think about advocates now in, in the legal system as someone who will fight for you. Who will, who will fight for your case, so to speak. Um, so when we look at an intercessor or mediator, we think of someone who is a, slightly a little more distant. He is, he is mediating between God and man. Um, but when we think about an advocate, we think about somebody who's willing to, to stick up for us. Somebody who's willing uh, to be there to encourage us, to, um, to tell God uh, that, that they need your help, so to speak. 1 John, in chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It says here that we have an advocate with the Father. You know, first off, He tells us not to sin. Um, obviously don't go out of your way to sin, but if you do, be encouraged that you have an advocate in heaven right now uh, who, who, is, who has already bled and died for you but is also willing to stick up for you in, in this time. So we have Jesus our advocate, but we also have Jesus our king. First Timothy is a good statement of this, but also there's a lot of verses... There's a lot of verses in uh, Revelation 
where it refers to, to Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Um, and I think that is, is beautiful. Here, First, first Timothy 6 and verse 13 says something similar. First Timothy 6 and 13 says, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in His times He shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. We have, we have a, a, a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is our, our priest, He's our intercessor, but He's also our King. Um, and we will spend eternity at His feet worshiping Him for being our King. He's also, uh, if you will, our President. And what I mean by that is that He's our federal head. Um, I think this is, this is most clearly, clearly stated in Romans, Romans 5. And I'll read a little bit of that to you. Romans 5 verse 12. This is, this is Jesus, our federal head. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was, not, was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned up to the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of, by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many." What this is saying is, is that in the garden, Adam was our federal head. He represented us. And when he fell in sin, we all fell in sin. This is like, and, and the reason I said our president is because that is a good example of a federal head. Uh, if our president, our commander in chief, declares war, then we're all in war. That means that each one of us are in war, at war with that nation. He represents us in that way. And the same way Adam represented us in the garden. And so when he sinned, we all sinned. But also, Jesus is, is our better Adam. He came and he represented us on the cross. Uh, and so when he died for our sins, uh, we were set free from that. And, and you notice that, that we didn't ask Adam to sin on our behalf, but yet we were plunged in sin. We also didn't ask Jesus to die on our behalf. Uh, and so we, we still get to experience that in the same way. We're, we get to experience life through Christ, our president, our, our federal head. <clears throat> Jesus is also our maker. Um, he's not just our king. He's also our maker. He made us. John 1, uh, John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And by the way, this word is this is Jesus that he's talking about, and and these um, verse seven and eight sort of prove that. Verse two: the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, 
and without Him was not anything made that was made. It says that, that Jesus here made all things. That the Word of God in the beginning made all things. Um, by the voice of His power, He upholds it now. Um, you know, He's our Maker, but praise God, He's also our brother, our elder brother. Uh, Romans 8. I know I'm moving through this fast, y'all. I'm sorry. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You know, if you, if you ever feel a leading toward the Lord, a desire for the Lord, it is an evidence that you're already born again. That you are the Son of God. And I, I like it, you know, now there's such a movement to, to make everything gender neutral. You know, so it would say the son and the daughter in the new translations. But you know, at the time that this was written, uh, a daughter would not have the same rights as, as a son. And so I, I want us to embrace the fact that it does say son here. Because you sisters, you were given the rights of a son. You were given the full rights of Christ when it, in, in this statement. Verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. It says here that Christ is our brother. If we're a child of God, then Christ is our brother. Uh, and if Christ is our brother, then we're joint heirs with Him. I know we've mentioned it before, but to be joint heirs with somebody means that you own all of it together. That means we own all the glory of heaven with Christ. Uh, not just a piece of it, we own the whole thing with Him. Christ is our elder brother. But you know what? He's a little more than that. He's a more than just our brother. He's also our friend. John chapter 15 John chapter 15, he says this. John 15 and verse 13, he says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now Jesus died on that cross for you. He laid down his life because you're his friend. Now that's something that, that I feel like gets a little closer to home. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing that He's our brother. It's amazing that He's our King. Uh, but for Him to say that, that, that I'm your friend, that means something to me. That means something. Uh, over in Ephesians chapter 5, I know we're jumping around a lot. We're getting somewhere. Ephesians chapter 5, not only is He our our friend, he's also, he's also our beloved. He's also our bridegroom, our husband. I know that makes us brothers a little uncomfortable to say that we have a husband. Um, but it's okay. The church is the bride of Christ. I'm okay with, with Jesus being my husband. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, it says here, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Our example, uh, you, you brothers, how to love your wife is how Christ loves us. And that's something, obviously, 
that we're never going to reach. We're never going to be that good of a husband. Verse 26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even so the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The Lord has a special love for His church. And I want you to think about that. I know sometimes we, we get used to coming here and we think, well, this is great, but it's, not, it's, it's, it's worn off some of the luster that it had when we started. You know? But we need to remember that this is, the church is special to God. Yeah. He calls it His wife. Mm. Uh, we ought to think about that when we come here. This is, this is not just an everyday thing that we do. Uh, this is something special that we get to take part in. Uh, and also, thinking about this, it says that we are, um, it says we are all members of this body. Yeah. Uh, so we ought to love one another. We ought to love one another. And, yeah. um, and, it, and it makes it a lot easier to get over some, uh, some little strife that we have with one another if we know that Jesus loves us mm-hmm. and, we, and we ought to love one another. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is our husband. He's also, he's also our bread and our water. John 6. And this, this, what this tells me is that He is everything we need for our nourishment, for our spiritual nourishment. John chapter 6, in verse 33. Um, I'll read verse 32. John 6 and verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. It's interesting, He says, He which cometh down. He's talking about Himself. Then said they unto Him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. It says here that he is our bread. If we eat of him, we'll never hunger again. It also says if we if we come to be with Him, we'll never thirst again. And He says to the woman at the well who's drawing water, He says, I'll give, you, I'll give you something better than this water. I'll give you something that you'll never thirst again. Yeah. Now I know that, that we have tasted of the Lord Jesus here, and I know that we still from time to time wander. We, we, we wander away, and that is our, our sinful human nature that's still within us. But there's a, there's a part of you, child of God, that... That is that never needs anything else but Jesus Himself. That spiritual man within you is satisfied to be in Jesus' presence. Now Jesus 
when he came and, and died for us. And we think about this especially on, on Easter, but I, I, I would encourage us to think about this daily if we can, to remember this daily. That he's our hope. He's our hope for the resurrection. We know, you know, he was, he was crucified and buried, and then three days later he rose again, which by the way, have you ever noticed that Good Friday, the day that we celebrate him being crucified, is not exactly three days later on Sunday that he would have risen? You know, that's kind of one of those funny things in history that I don't, I don't know if somebody got it wrong or if they were just saying it'd be easier to celebrate it Friday and Sunday. Um, but it was three days later. It was actually three days. He raised from the dead. And you know, the fact that he, the fact that he came back shows us that God accepted that sacrifice. Because if he would not have come back from the dead, then, then we would never know. We would never know. Maybe he was still being punished for that. And that, which reminds me of that fit man. You know, a part of, a part of that ceremony of that fit man was that he would return and that he would wash himself and rejoin the people. Now, just think about it for a minute. What if that fit man never returned? You know, the people would always wonder, did our sins really get put away? Is he going to come back with that goat any, any second? Well, the fit man, when he would come back, they would know he went and left that goat somewhere. And that goat's not coming back. Now, Jesus went, our fit man, he took... He took the goat of our sins far away from us and then He came back to give us peace and consolation that He actually completed it. <clears throat> and you know what? We also have, we also have hope um, that since Jesus raised from the dead, we will too. Uh, Romans 8. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. In verse 11. It says, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if through, the, if through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Um, also, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians, and we'll, we'll stay there, I think, probably to close. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> and we'll look at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. It says, Now if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. What he's saying here is just what I said about that fit man. 
if Jesus never raised, if He never came back from the grave, then we would never know. We would never know that our sins were put away and that the Lord had accepted it. It says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. This is what I was talking about earlier with Christ being our federal head. In Adam we plunged, we fell in sin, and in Christ uh, we were made alive. Verse 51. We'll skip to verse 51 of 1 Corinthians 15. I think we're going to close with this. He says here, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says here, that there's, there's coming a day when we're going to be changed. You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people who get really scared about what's going to happen when you die. Now, I believe that, that when you die, you, your soul goes immediately into the presence of the Lord. It says, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, your body, your body may decay, um, but the Lord's coming back for that body, and He's going to change it. You know, and, and I think a lot of people get, get, really, get really upset about that. They get, they get a little over over legalistic about what happens to your body. But you know what? The body of our Savior was beaten and torn apart. Um, it says that His visage was so marred more than any man. Um, we were watching that movie, just a glimpse of that movie, The Passion of the Christ, the other night. Uh, and it shows a little bit of what Jesus went through, the actual physical beating and whipping that He took. Um, and it, it's pretty rough to watch. Um, because his, his, his flesh was torn apart. Uh, and he had nails driven through his, his hands and, and, and his feet and a spear driven in his side. His, his body did not look great. Um, it, was not, it was not pretty. But yet we see that three days later, he raised from the dead. He came back. And all, all of the scars that it says that he has is the nail prints in his hands and his feet. And, and the mark of that spear in his side. It doesn't say anything about all those whippings uh, and all the, the countless other bodily injuries that he had. I know that's sort of gruesome to think about, but I don't want you to be discouraged, child of God, because we have hope in Christ that, that if Christ can come back and his body can be put together like it was and glorious, then he says that, that he is the first fruits of them that sleep. That means, you know, in the Old Testament, they would have this when they would do a harvest. The first of the harvest would be their first fruits, and they would give it an offering to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Now it says that Jesus is our first fruits. 
You know, and, and there's something about the first fruits that means there's more to come. Uh, Jesus was raised again. Uh, and we have the comfort that we will too. Um, so Jesus is our hope. Now, I've, I've gone through, and I'm sure there's a lot of other different, a lot of different other ways in which Jesus is everything for us. Uh, I, I've showed you that He's our bread, He's our hope, He's our bridegroom, He's our friend, He's our priest, He's our scapegoat, He's our fit man. He's everything we need. He's everything for us. Now what I would like to encourage us is that from day to day, you know, Jesus may be everything for you, but I, I, I want Him to be everything to you. I want Him to mean everything to you. And I forget that sometimes. When I'm, when I'm getting busy with life, when exams are coming up or when something stressful at work or whatever the case may be, health problems, you know, we all deal with those things. And there's, there's so many ways in which we can be distracted from our Savior, from, from the person that loves us so much. But, but child of God, you mean everything to Him. Yeah. And, and He doesn't have to prove that anymore. You know, uh, we can, I can tell you that I love you all day long, but until I show you, you don't have proof. But Jesus, He didn't just tell us that He loved us. He proved it on the cross. And the Lord accepted that because He was raised again. Now, he means everything. I mean, you, uh, you mean everything to Him. So I'd ask you every day to submit yourself to making Him be everything to you. Um, I'm so thankful for what He's done for us. I'm so thankful uh, that, that we can think about how glorious it is that, that one day this, this graveyard behind us, all these bodies are going to be raised up and we have that hope because of Christ. But I want you every day in the meantime while we're waiting on that, for Jesus to be everything for you. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.